Thank you for listening to the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I'm a licensed professional counselor here in Atlanta, Georgia, where I own a group practice specializing in maternal mental health. Here on the podcast, we talk a little bit about everything from pop culture to motherhood, womanhood, parenthood, and everything in between. So sit back, relax, and listen to a quick chat with me. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the podcast. And I am so excited to have our frequent visitor, Jay, aka Julia Array, hear <laughs> us as a guest on the show. Hello. Whole government name. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hi, Keisha. Hi. Um, today's episode is about finding your purpose. Ooh. And I'm so happy because Jay has had a journey Ooh, into taking in what others have said about her and actually applying it and having that epiphany to bet on herself. So let's go back a little bit. Okay. Tell us a little bit about what it is that you are doing now in life. Um, And then we'll go back into the beginning. Okay. So do a formal introduction of yourself. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, you already told them my whole government. (laughs) (laughs) It feels good to be back. Um, Wow. I'm I'm trying to process all of this and what I'm going to say. But (laughs) to start, um, I am Julia. Those who know me and love me and accept me call me Jay. Um, I am in a transitional period right now in my life. I am, okay, so let, let's, let's back it up. I think this is probably going to be the most transparent I've been on this podcast mm-hmm. and I've been on here. What? This is my third time, fourth third or time. Fourth. Fourth. Um, so where I am right now is I am betting on myself as Keisha said, I recently walked away probably about three months now. I'm going into month four from um, my job. I resigned from a job at a VP of an organization. So I walked away from title, money, access, all the things that I had thought I wanted my entire career and my entire life because that's what I thought um, my purpose was to kind of climb the ladder, gain these accolades. And um, no, that's not what I want. That's not what my passion is. That's not what my purpose is. And it took a while. It took years and years and years and years. And my friends that are listening to this and my loved ones and Keisha's nodding her head at me (laughs) right now um, can attest to that, that it took a while to get here. And um, most of it was wrapped into fear. And... um, now that I am in it, I'm making my way in entrepreneur land. Mm-hmm. I, um, it, it is very interesting. Um, it, it's coming natural in a sense with dealing with all the nuances, but it still feels like a natural fit. It feels like this is where I should be. This is where I've wanted to be, but fear held me back. So in a sense, I think Fear is going to come up a lot during this conversation Mm -hmm. and what I'm fearful about because we think of fear so surface all the time, like, oh, I'm afraid of failure. Oh, I'm a, but it goes a lot deeper than that for me. And, um, 
I think the fear was the fear of my truth and um, who I am, who I truly want to be, um, who I was destined to be in a sense and um, coming full circle. So this is this is my moment where I'm coming full circle. And um, I guess this is what this podcast is going to be about um, beyond just the purpose, but how I arrive to what the purpose and the passion was. And a lot of that was really confronting my fears and the fear of my truth, my truth in who um, I am as a person, who I want to be and who I was. Um, So I hope that answered your question. Um, Okay. So to go back into who you really are, like your core Mm -hmm. self, your authentic self, how do you feel like you established that identity like going back to your childhood Mm. of being this person like before fear was even like a concept how did you develop your sense of self i think i'm still developing i really think i'm developing because i'm over the hump of being afraid of who i am right um i think before At the core, I know who I am, right? I'm a person that truly, you know, loves people. I I really consider myself a joyous person. I consider myself a deep thinker. Those are things that have always been a part of me as far back as, you know, I can remember even as a child. But in terms of who I am and right now, I'm still developing that person because I think I hit um, a wall And I kind of stayed there, right? In the sense of, well, this is who you should be. And it was based kind of of this idea that I didn't even come up with myself. It's all these things that are fed to you externally that then you internalize. And that's who you become, right? It's, oh, you have to be this person career-wise. You have to be this person as a mother, as a wife, as a friend. So all these things are fed to you and you contort yourself so much till one day you kind of wake up and you're like, okay, I don't even really recognize this person in a sense Mm -hmm. because it's like you know girl Simone Biles ain't had nothing on me because of how I could bend and shape myself um and you know weave in and out I used to consider myself someone of you know like a kind of a chameleon you Mm -hmm. know but all of that was hiding myself in Mm -hmm. a sense it was not truly allowing my true self to be seen and I used to always say oh I'm just a private person right no (laughs) it wasn't necessarily that I mean in hindsight I can say it now Mm -hmm. um because I'm doing the work to be able to say it now but in hindsight it was I was fearful of truly putting who I was out there Mm -hmm. because I just didn't know how people would receive it or if it would um contradict who they thought I was and I wanted to have this image of you know this person and if who I truly was didn't fit with that person Mm -hmm. 
then how would people receive me? You know, how, um, you know, how would that reflect me career wise? Mm -hmm. um, I could say my, my friend zone and, you know, my, my relationship with my husband were the safest places. Like, I think you guys authentically always got who I was. Um, but I think outside, um, it wasn't always projected mm -hmm. that way because again, it's the fear of, well, how will I be looked at in this kind of way? So, so it, you were, were you fearful of people's reaction to like who you truly were as your core? Did you think that they weren't going to accept it or they were going to have a negative response? That, yes. And then also I've kind of always had the idea of you can't let people see truly who you are because then that vulnerability and them truly know who and who you are. It's kind of somebody using that weakness against you. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, if people see your vulnerability and your weakness, then they know what to tap on mm -hmm. and how to kind of break you in a way. So even um, being younger, I was always guarded in that sense because I... Um, I didn't want people to know my weakness. And maybe that's tied back to, you know, a lot of childhood traumas that I experienced where it's, okay, so you were vulnerable in this sense and this happened to you. So then don't let that happen mm -hmm. to you again. So you put a wall mm -hmm. up and then only the people truly in your circle kind of get to see you in that space. But I got tired of contorting myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I got tired of, you know, wearing a different face for different people. Mm -hmm. So in this space now with the question of who are you, I'm still getting there. I know that for sure that I'm still a person that loves people. I'm still a person that loves to laugh. I'm still a person that values people in a sense. Um, I'm someone that, you know, at almost 40 truly understand what worth is. Mm. Um, and that's a whole different topic, but <laughs> truly understanding what worth is and not just kind of the optical topical idea of what worth is, but truly that I was born worthy, right? Mm -hmm. It's not transactional. It's not something that if I do this for you, then I'm worthy of getting that thing for you. But no, standing as my true self, I am worthy of all the things um, that I have the tangibles and the intangible things. And that's something that also took me a while to understand mm -hmm. that, you know, I am, if even, it's even beyond deserving, but I think worthy is just such a stronger word because even the word deserving comes with a transactional mm -hmm. um, foundation to it. So, yeah. I think those are good answers. Mm -hmm. It reminds me, remember we were talking about Lovecraft Country? Yes. And oh, remember, um, what was her character's name? Um, Ruby? No. Uh, Vance's wife. Courtney B. Vance's oh, wife. Yes. Um, it was. Will, um, Will, 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 uh, Apple. Uh, Apple. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I can't think her. of her. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you remember when she had that monologue? Mm -hmm. Still one of my best TV moments. Yes. Nothing I think has hit me quite that hard. And she was talking about that. Yeah. 
of this person on the outside uh-huh. of putting on and even shrinking and standing behind her uh-huh. husband, even though she was a smarter one in comparison to her uh-huh. husband. And then when she had that adventure mm-hmm. of different lives. Acolyta. That was her name. Acolyta. <laughs> yeah. And remember how like powerful that episode uh-huh. was? And how she came back as herself. Even her hair was different. Uh-huh. Wasn't it like blue? Yes. <laughs> and she'd been like a warrior. She'd been uh-huh. dancing with Josephine Baker and all of those things. Why do you feel like as women, we struggle to tap into that and proudly wear who we are regardless? Here is the actual monologue from Hippolyta from episode eight, I Am of Lovecraft Country. I think now I can name this thing that's been eating at me quietly, so quiet. Sometimes I thought I was tired, sad, or missing you when you were out on the road, but really I was, I was angry. So angry because for so much of my life, I've been shrinking. When I was a kid, I thought I was big enough to have every right to name something out of this world. And then I just started shrinking myself. By the time I met you, I'd already gotten so small. And I thought you knew how big I wanted to be. I thought you saw me. But you just stood by and let me shrink myself more for you. Um, I think it's a couple different things. Um, for, I won't say, a, I can't say a lot of us. Let me speak for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm going to put it um, just on me. I won't speak for anybody else because um, we're not a monolith. But I think for me, I don't think I know for me that shrinking was easier than truly be in yourself mm-hmm. um you know it's like that poem that um our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate but our deepest fear is like we are beyond what we can dream of you know sometimes our dreams for ourselves are so small but the dreaming bigger that's the scary part because of what comes with it it's gonna take discipline it's gonna take belief it's gonna take faith beyond things that are seen to be able to dream of like something so huge it takes a lot and i think for a lot of us or for me let me go back to me i'm speak i want to use eyes in this sentence for me it was easier to play small it, it's it's the easier thing to do versus being uncomfortable and stretching exactly yourself. that's where it truly lies it's, it goes back to your truth your truth is probably the hardest thing because your truth is there is no watering it down. You have to sit in it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like why self-actualization is so hard for most people mm-hmm. because of the work that we have to do. So you shrink. It's okay to be in the background. Nobody expects much from the person in the mm-hmm. background. But the person in front, people have expectations from them. Mm-hmm. It, it, it comes with responsibilities that for a lot of us, um, it's, it's tough. 
it's tough. And then also we have to think a lot of times how little girls that are raised to become women think, you know, and I don't think it was intentional for a lot of our parents, but they raised us in a sense of why they were thinking we were independent in certain areas, but we were raised to be like helpmates in mm. other areas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. domesticated exactly even though it was always put you do this you have your own but there wasn't an idea of you can have your own in spite or despite mm -hmm. you know so i think it's, it's a way how a lot of us were raised and regardless of how society has changed it's still highly patriarchal mm -hmm. and we can't like not have that as one of the foundations of you know how little girls are raised and these little girls take these same concepts but also i feel we also do it to ourselves i personally believe patriarchy doesn't happen without our participation oh, in patriarchy sure. we have to carry it on exactly we have to partake it's the way you know in turn we raise our sons we raise our sons differently than we raise our daughters mm -hmm. um so we participate in it we buy into it mm -hmm. and i'm not talking about like gender roles because listen i I've, i think i've said it once on this podcast i don't like taking out the garbage <laughs> So my husband takes out the garbage. Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't really like doing dishes. I'm okay with doing dishes. So I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about the true essence in, you know, feeling that there's a glass ceiling there. And we help hold that glass ceiling mm -hmm. up. So it's easier to shrink. Right. Because you get so used to it. But you know what? I tell clients, and I'll say this. Because I am guilty of shrinking or being in the background is that there is a level of fakeness of not showing up as your authentic self. That when you do hide or you don't, like if someone stumbles upon me and say, oh, Keisha, I didn't know that you draw. You draw? I had no idea. Like, oh, yeah, it's mm -hmm. just, you know. Da, da, da. Versus like me just being like, outwardly opening all the things that I do or, or what I have going on and would rather play in the background. It's not truly me showing my book cover of all the things that are the essence right. of myself. And no one wants to be fake. Mm -hmm. And know that it's not fake as in like two-faced or fake as, you know, you are intentionally misleading someone, but you aren't putting all yourself out there. Why though? What do you think? Is it a protection? Is it? I definitely like to what you were saying, like it's a coping mechanism. I think that like there's fear of rejection. Mm -hmm. I think that there's fear of acceptance. Mm -hmm. And then there's just this fear of if you fail or if it doesn't work out in the way, like it's safer to be complacent or it's safer. Like I'll tell some people, it's almost like being in an elevator and you get off on floor three. Like, oh, well, floor fleet, this feels fine. Right. I can just stay here. But what if you went to the top floor? What if you went to the penthouse? What what could that look like? Yeah. And how I've been, you know, like, you know, I've been self-titling myself the fear disruptor <laughs> with H-E-R at the end. Shirts coming out. <laughs> Shirts coming out. JuliaRay.com. Yes, I owe my name. It's very important to own your name. But um, what I have been telling myself as I'm walking myself through the steps 
of fear is two things that I've been working on with myself is really realizing what's reality and what are the lies that mm-hmm. fear tells you? Because fear is a fucking lie. <laughs> it is. It will have you but like completely like being in cognitive dissonance. Right. Like, and right. you're just like. And it's needed. It's a natural emotion. It is. It is for self-protection. Is. So you're not just going out here walking off cliffs. Right, right, right. However. However. <laughs> it lies to you about certain things. So one thing, um, and you taught me this exercise probably about two years ago, is kind of measuring what's reality and what is what's in your head that you and fear has conjured up that there is no basis to it so I've, I've really been making myself a list of what's my reality what's this and also one thing that has been really really effective for me is imagining the worst case scenario the worst case of it and what that is and I had um brunch yesterday with one of my favorite Saras and that's what we talked about you know because I was telling her that as bold as I am stepping into this space there's still some reservations about it and that's where the conversation led what's the worst could happen I've imagined the worst that could happen in you know this new chapter of my life and I've come up with a plan of what how to counteract what's the worst that can happen. What if this business failed? I go back to a nine to five. I'm old. I'm very, very qualified to go back to. You can always get a job. I can always get a job. Even if it's going to go stock stuff in Target. Mm-hmm. I can go get a job. That is not the question. But the bigger fear should is for me if I don't see this through. Mm-hmm. That is the that is that is the thing that's going to keep me awake at night. That is the thing that has kept me awake at night for a very long time now. If I don't see this through, there will be that empty void in me because time is going to pass regardless of if I do or I don't. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's more dangerous to not than it is and i do understand that i am speaking from a place of privilege the average person cannot just resign from their job Mm -hmm. and still maintain their lifestyle i do understand that i am very fortunate to have a spouse that is very supportive of that and we can still live in you know what I'm accustomed to I understand that I never take that for granted I feel very blessed and very privileged to not have to wonder where my next meal is coming from or how we're going to pay the mortgage or how we're going to pay for things associated with our children I don't take that for granted so I have to um in a sense it's like you know, people say, what if you fall? Oh, but what if you fly? I'm interested in what if I fly. And I, um, I'm i not saying that, you know, I won't fall sometimes because I will. But I am very grateful that even when I fall, I'll fall on the right foundation because just not my husband, but I have a circle mm-hmm. of amazing people 
that will make sure that I'm okay. And I know that there is definitely a privilege in that. So I don't want anybody listening to this to just be like, well, oh, she can do that. But I, trust me, I get it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a person that, that lives in the space of what equity looks like and what privilege looks like. And I understand the imbalances and the structural things that are in place that makes it hard for a lot of women that look like me to be able to do what I'm doing right now with a full family and a mortgage mm -hmm. and all of that. I do understand the privilege in that, but even if it's not such a big move that I made, I want people to think about the fears that are showing up in their lives that are stopping them from the passion. It may not be your job. It could be something else that you, you've put on the shelf for so long. It's kind of going back to like Apolida and I, you know, and how she was saying that she spent all her life putting other people before her and everybody's needs that she kind of disappeared in us, which is what truly happened. Yep. She disappeared. Mm -hmm. And even going back to um, Waiting to Exhale, that um, scene with Bernie and her husband when they were um, getting, ready, getting yeah. ready to go to the party when he told her she doesn't want to be alone tonight and I don't think she <laughs> should be. If y'all haven't seen that scene and wait to excel, please go see it. And she said, I thought all these years, if I was everything that you wanted, then you would be everything that I needed. Mm -hmm. And that is how so many of us are living li in our lives. And I'm saying it's not always a job. It's not always your marriage. It could be anywhere where you, it's that transactional thing that I go back to. You feel that if you give this, you get this. And then the fear of, well, what if I just don't mm -hmm. and I do something else? It's, it's there. So... I think this started becoming about fear, girl. <laughs> How did fear? Um, but next question. Okay, so you, like I said, people have been pouring into you mm -hmm. for years about all of your wonderful qualities. Yes. And you would hear it, but not necessarily like take the leap. And then the day came. Mm -hmm. What do you feel in that moment when you decided enough? I'm choosing me, this is the path, I'm going this route. What was it that like turned that light switch on? In that space, but I just walked in one day <laughs> and I had, um, and I called my husband and I said, today's gonna be the day because we'd had the conversation so many times and he's like, well, just leave. And, um, and I said, I don't know when it's ready. Well, you know, I wanna put a plan in place. And um, I walked in that day and I was the first person to get into the office and I sat at my desk and I said, this no longer serves me. Mm. And I typed up my resignation letter and I handed it in at the end of the day. And that was almost four months ago. Mm. Um, I don't does it feel like it's been four months? It does not. <laughs> it does not. Like I literally I didn't it didn't even dawn on me until like when I was in the gym working out today and I was thinking about like my fitness journey because that's kind of mm -hmm. like the start of it. And I was like, well, how long did it take me to lose this? And I was like, holy crap. Like 
it's it's been four months. This will be month four. And um, honestly, and I don't know if I told you this, but I, I was telling Shadu this the other day is this is probably the happiest I've been in my adult life. It is. That's very telling. It is. And not saying I haven't been happy in my adult life because I have been. But I think a part of this. And I need to say I stop. I need to stop saying I think. I know because <laughs> I'm living it. It's my truth that it is because I finally am betting on myself and I'm finally walking the path that I knew was there for me, mm -hmm. but I just was not brave enough to, or not even ready, mm -hmm. because sometimes, you know, you can push yourself out there and um, you're not ready, mm -hmm. you know, um, again, living up to other people's expectations. So I really think in that moment and where I am right now is where I'm supposed to be. And the experiences I had, while a lot of them were negative in that space, they helped me realize some things. It's kind of people say, God makes you uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah. Oh, was I really uncomfortable? Um, and then it became, how long are you going to do this? How long are you going to keep putting yourselves in a situation? Because my last situation I left before the current one, um, I also wasn't happy in that. And then I left, you know... But again, that wasn't, I left for something that was, you know, more money, a bigger title, but that wasn't truly in essence what I wanted. It's again, it's what I thought I should do versus really focusing on this isn't truly what you want to do. So what is the truth in what you want to do? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so back to the original question is, there wasn't a specific moment. It's kind of when you know, you know. And I walked in that morning. It was about 8.40. Um, the office opened at 9. And I sat there and it was like, why? <laughs> and I literally... and. You know, Shadu was so nonchalant about it. He's like, okay, see you later at home. <laughs> you know, because it was just like, I've been telling you this for the longest. I've seen how it's affected you. I've seen how much you shrunk yourself. I see how unhappy. I see the anxiety. Um, why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, but a part of it also too, which is I, I think, stop saying I think. A part of it, too, is I was the first black person, and I'm not going to say person of color, black person, to work at this organization in its 75-year history at the mm -hmm. time. And there was this pride in our community, and I took that on, mm -hmm. that you are the first black person to work there. So I, I put that burden on my shoulder. And in talking to other women, I've discovered that as well, that as, you know, as black women, and I've been talking to a lot of black women in executive positions, and, and it's the same story all along, you know, we, we put these burdens on ourselves, especially when we're the first and we're the only, and we take on this burden and we deal with a lot mm -hmm. to carry this banner. Right. 
And we don't have to. And we don't have to. And it's it was like, remember when I sent you Elaine Walter Roth's book? Yes. And she got the first editor-in-chief position uh-huh. at Vogue, uh-huh. even though they were significantly underpaying her. Uh-huh. And were not supporting her. She wanted to take on the responsibility because of what it meant and to create more access for others yes. who were coming through. Yes. Which I felt was a part of my duty as well, you know, to show up for for us in the community and us in that space. Um, but I wasn't showing up for me. Again, it was that shrinking effect. It was playing the background and putting somebody else in front of me. It's what about you? What what does this picture look like for you? Like, it's great to show up and be this representation. Um, and, and I will say that was something that I was proud of. But what is it doing to you mm-hmm. in that space so i had to process all of that and even after i left there you know there were people like oh my gosh you were the first we were so proud you know and i had to be very honest about you know this is about me it's not about anybody else you know because i have to make sure that i'm good for me first mm-hmm. because outside of a workspace there's people that truly depend on me mm-hmm. like i have two children mm-hmm. and i have a husband those are truly my responsibility not that i don't i i've always regardless of where i am i've always made sure i made spaces for other people at the table especially marginalized and um underserved communities that's always been my thing but me stepping away doesn't mean that's still not a part of my work it's that's not my work in that space Mm -hmm. because that is a part of my work in the new journey that I am on is in my consulting work. It's really helping to build, teach people how to build um, inclusive and equitable spaces for people. So it may not, my journey ended there in that sense, but a part of my life's work is still attached to that. And I don't have to show up in spaces where I don't feel fulfilled that are no longer edifying for me because I'm showing up for other people. So me stepping away allowed me to show up for myself and to show up better for the communities that I want to shed light on and for the people that don't have the access and don't get treated equitably. I still get to do that. Mm -hmm. So, yes. So before we wrap up, mm-hmm. hearing you say the strategies that you use to combat fear yeah. and to continue to bet on yourself every day, because mm-hmm. I know sometimes it can feel like, you know, one can question like, am I doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. Is this what I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to be here? So you said that you go through like reality versus mm-hmm. irrational thinking. Um, you have a great support. But what else do you do if imposter syndrome shows up? I think it's important to call a thing a thing. That is it with even identifying your fear because at the top of the podcast we talked about you may think it's one thing that you're, you know, fearful of, but underneath Mm -hmm. all of that, it's really something else, Mm -hmm. you know, so really calling it out, identifying what it looks like. The next thing is to feel it. 
we often run away from these feelings and that's why they keep coming back up you don't deal with your shit your shit gonna deal with you and that's just that's real talk and then from there the other things that i talked about right in terms of writing your own narrative you know making a reality check with what's real and what um isn't but imposter syndrome <laughs> Listen, most of my life I've felt imposter syndrome, but at almost 40 years old, this is the year of 40, a girl turns 40 this year, um, I'm starting to think that imposter syndrome sometimes was really taught to us. That it was a way, it gave us a language for us to continue to shrink ourselves. Mm -hmm. Put a, put a name to it. You put a name to it. And once you put a name to it, then you can say, oh, I'm, you know, it's this imposter syndrome that I'm feeling. But imposter syndrome is also a lie. It goes back. It's still fear. Yeah. It's a lie. And it goes back to not believing you're worthy of being in these spaces. So every day, and this is self-talk. So as I'm telling you this on a podcast, I'm also speaking that back into myself that I'm worthy of being here. I am worthy. There is, I am worthy of everything that I have in my life mm -hmm. and everything that I want. Because what imposter syndrome does, it lies to you. It tells you there's no space for you here. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not degreed enough. You're not this. I want to show up how white men show up in mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. that. So when I think mm -hmm. about imposter syndrome, I think about the white men that I've observed over the years and that level of confidence they have, even if they don't have the credentials right. and what that is. Because you know who don't have imposter syndrome? <laughs> I agree. So I think sometimes learning things sometimes or having the language for things, it also allows us to kind of stay Duck right. versus learning how to get over that home. So yes, if there's imposter syndrome, feel it. Feel it. Mm -hmm. But then go back to what I said. What's the reality? Right. And what is the lie the imposter syndrome is telling you? Then create your own narrative mm -hmm. for it. Imposter syndrome is a narrative somebody else gave you. Right. That's not the narrative you gave yourself. No one said, Julia, you know, you can't be, you, you know, Julia didn't say to Julia, you can't be this. You can't achieve this. Someone else or circumstance made me feel like that. Right. And it's, it's similar to, to your point. Mm -hmm. It is normal for anyone to may feel anxious mm -hmm. um, about something that is new or question absolutely if anything I think it's healthy mm -hmm. because I think like when we talk about fear how fear does save our lives that it's good that you self-reflect that you check yourself but also with that it's a prompt to get comfortable yes if it is something new it's a prompt to do whatever you can do to make this feel like home because we had this conversation about someone that I know that I told you about who got invited to be an expert on a show and had no knowledge of the material and and for me i'm always like oh well, if i don't know mm -hmm. you know i wouldn't put myself out there right but this right, person right. is like i'll figure it out right so why not figure it out right right and i think that's what we all need to do like you said not get complacent in imposter syndrome but to get over it 
Absolutely. It's the, feel it. Mm-hmm. And then what? You just going to sit there mm-hmm. and lie to yourself and keep telling yourself you don't have what it takes when you know that. So it's do you want to get stuck here or do you want to see what's on the other side of your fear and what's mm-hmm. on the other side of that imposter syndrome? We know it's real. Mm-hmm. You know, it shows up. But like you said, anything new comes with a level of, ooh, this yeah. is new. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit of fear, hesitation. Right. It's like working out. It's like walking, girl. <laughs> God forbid that when we were crawling to walking and you failed the first time, yeah. you didn't stop there. Right. We all be just crawling around this land. <laughs> right. And that's that's kind of how I look at the world. Mm-hmm. The first time as you watch your kids walk, as you see, you they take that mm-hmm. step. They're not sure about it. Them legs get a little mm-hmm. bit wobbly. They fall. They may cry. They may cry. But guess what? They keep getting up and putting a foot in front of the other. And that's fucking life. You're going to fall. You're going to bust your ass. But it is more dangerous to stay on your ass than it is to get up and put one foot in front of the other and walk. Because my path, I can't crawl. You can only crawl to go. The path that God has for me. I'm going to have to learn how to run to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you crawl, then you walk, you run. But Lisa Nichols says that run needs to turn into a sore. And I'm trying to soar in my destiny. Mm-hmm. I can't crawl because if I crawl, I ain't never going to get there. Mm-hmm. But I'm soaring in my destiny. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all I got to say on that. <laughs> <laughs> um where can people find you? People can find me <laughs> at my website at juliara.com. That's J-U-L-I. Her government name. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been. So it's J-U-L-I-A-A-R-E-H dot com. I'm still working on the socials, y'all. So be, um, I have a personal um, Instagram that I'm not going to share with y'all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can find me on um, LinkedIn. Um, it's, you know, and and I don't think we talked about what the business is. So, um, my business is a couple things. Um, DNI, that's, you know, my professional background, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and then also I'm doing some coaching, personal coaching for people dealing with fear and also people that are dealing with, um, microaggressions in the workplace. Mm -hmm. I, um, have experienced that a lot. So helping people trying to navigate that. So you go to the website and she um, has groups opening up soon for you to sign up to be a part. (laughs) Get you some friends that promote you. (laughs) If your friends ain't promoting you, they ain't your friends. Um, so just, you know, just doing things, not Sit, not sitting in the or mindset, which is what I call the only and the reserved mindset, but more so in the and. Mm-hmm. So before I thought, oh, I, I only need to do diversity work because that's what I'm used to. But no, I also am a coach that coaches people along the way. So, you know, diversifying the portfolio <laughs> over here. So that is where you can um, find me. So, and I have a couple projects coming on, one specifically dealing with fear that I have some amazing women that are on the journey with me. So, yes. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Time number four. I think I'm the guest that's been on the most. You are. So I need a trophy for that. I'm a trophy generation. (laughs) 
Who's gonna tell them that we